When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. How do you use your difference to make a difference? Well, I think I've talked about it today. Just yes, you have. <laughs> it's all it's all the all the ingredients that challenges um, with our identity, with our upbringing, with um, the be- the benefits we've enjoyed. All of those things are the ingredients for change. And each of us has so many choices to use things that we already possess. So, you know, let's jump in. And use those, whether that's to normalize a conversation about whiteness and privilege, whether it is to bring, you know, shine a light on LGBTQ plus identities, whatever it is, like there's so much we could each be doing. And I just believe that we are underutilizing what we've been given. So I love that as a call to action. How you day, how you day. That was the voice of Jennifer Brown. And Jennifer Brown is a familiar voice to this podcast. If you've been an avid listener to this podcast, you would know that she's been on here before. She runs a consultancy agency that's focused on a lot of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And her book was coming up with an updated edition, How to Be an Inclusive Leader. And I I thought it'd be fun to have her to discuss what she's learned since she's written the book. I think, obviously, as you all know, DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, is a core principle and value that I live by. But I, I also think it's interesting to listen to her perspective from what it's like to have that privilege as well as exist in certain areas where marginalization might exist. And I think we we often do a bad job as a world of not acknowledging the privileges we have or how we center ourselves in conversations. And I think the better we're able to do that, the more we're gonna be able to unlearn some toxic behaviors. So come with an open mind. And I hope you enjoy listening to this episode as well as please continue to share as you've been doing in the past. Enjoy. Welcome everyone to another episode of As Told by Nomads. And today's guest is Jennifer Brown. Now, Jennifer is a successful LGBTQI plus entrepreneur, and she's been featured in media such as the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Harvard Business Review, Bloomberg Business Week, Forbes, CBS, and many more for her ideas. Her book, How to Be an Inclusive Leader, was an incredible bestseller when it first came out. And now she's out again for the second edition. Second edition where she gets to expand on new and important ideas. And I don't think anyone needs me to stress this enough. We need this more now than ever. So I am excited to welcome you to the show, Jennifer. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to kick some things around today. So I'm looking forward to this. 
<laughs> I, no, me, me too. I'm excited. We, we were doing a lot of talking pre-show just about the shared interests we have, yeah. especially in the background of the, the times we, we live in today, regardless of whatever side of the political spectrum you are, there's this, um, on, I guess, on unease around mm-hmm. the idea of communicating who you are. And you, as someone who's been in this field, I'm just curious, I want to start off there. What do you notice post-pandemic mm-hmm. so far? Mm-hmm. Well, didn't we all have a reckoning? I mean, I think it's it changed us more than a lot of us realize. And, um, you know, it made us, I think, um, advocate for ourselves differently. It mm-hmm. gave us voice. It gave us courage to tell the truth. Um, it gave us also um, permission uh, to challenge the 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 patterns that we were in, right? I mean, think about our redefinition of our relationships with work and with employers, and <laughs> and the the voice of the employee and the the reckoning even there as a microcosm of the shifts in power, the shifts in systems. Um, I, for one, I don't know about you, but this this sort of accelerated the work that I've been about for 20 years in a very yeah. short amount of time. There yeah. was like a, a 180, not to say all of our problems are fixed, How, definitely not, but at least we've brought things above the surface. We're looking at them. We're talking about them. We're having more honest conversations. The fix is harder, right? The fix is complex, um, but all I know is, and what I keep focusing on is the fix needs to include all of us, right? We need to build something that works for more of us and for our lives, for our identities, for our communities more equitably and realizing that so much of what we've grown up coping with has been harmful and sitting with that and, you know, and then reinventing from there, I think it's a very once in a lifetime opportunity. No, I, I agree with that because- I think the opportunity for you to see how you might have participated in a world that mm. you know perpetuates certain ideas is important, but also the opportunity for to for you to see how you could be uh, an advocate in a sense is also mm. important. How you mm. can participate in changing that, and yeah. there are two sides of the spectrum. You also write in in spectrums or continuums uh, in, in your book. You have this uh, inclusive leader continuum, right? You have a set of four developmental stages, right. For those that haven't listened to you before, because I think this is your first time on this particular show. Yeah. Could you break down what your four developmental stages are? Absolutely. Thank you. Um, Well, I come from a learning and development background. So in my master's, we studied organizational change and how it happens. But we also think about individual change. We think about Mm -hmm. our own evolution. So it felt uh, that this this very mysterious, triggering, um, overwhelming topic needed something simple. You know, mm. it, it just needed sort of the the pathway and the stages we go through. And this is not like new. I mean, honestly, there have been change models all over the place, you know, in, in, in the leadership field forever. You know, the grief curve, right? The, the change, change management, you know, stages of change. Like people have studied this. But I think when it comes to inclusive leadership, we, we um, don't even get started because we get stuck. And, and what I wanted to do was unstick people. And because we need them, we need all of us. We need all of us contributing whatever ingredient we can from who we are, right? Our lived experience, our earned and unearned privileges, you know, the the mix, the intersectionality of who we are. So the the four phases then are unaware, aware, active, and advocate. And I probably don't need to explain to your listeners, like this is, we probably find ourselves in one of these and maybe multiple of these, depending on the topic that we're trying to consider. 
If we're in unaware, we're in denial. Maybe we're arguing. Maybe we are um, asleep. Maybe we're not wanting to see. Mm -hmm. Maybe we're not able to see. Lots of reasons, right? Why we may be really on the sidelines. Um, and there's a lot of fear and hesitation around saying the wrong thing. And, oh, I'm so privileged. And what can I possibly contribute? And, you know, all this angst. And so I just try to name it. I believe in naming the angst. And honestly, I, I, this is personal. I feel the angst. This, I, this is me writing for myself, you know, I and I, and I hope that, that it's helpful for people, but my own curve, right. And my, my destination, I have to revisit and go backwards sometimes. And, and it doesn't feel good, but at the same time, how else am I supposed to build a stronger muscle, you know, as a, as a human, as a, as a, as a person that wants to create good in the world. So from unaware, we move into aware, which is, which is I'm awakening. I'm starting to notice I'm, I'm collecting information. I'm realizing my, maybe my biases. I'm realizing my silence, my complicity, my participation, my, uh, the tailwinds that speed me along, you know, the system that benefits me or the one that I'm the insider in and the outsider in, you know, we're just noticing. And that's so important, right? It's the knowledge is so important. We got to know what is a microaggression? What do they sound like for different identities? What if that's, what if I've never heard that, but you have heard that, you know, and, and in the same situation, same workplace, for example. So that's um, the eye opening and sort of what I would call conscious incompetence in aware, right? Which is, okay, now I know what I don't know, conscious incompetence. And then in active, which is phase three, it's the, okay, I'm going to take what I've learned. I'm going to begin to practice it and apply it. I'm going to begin to have new conversations, invite new, you know, open new doors, um, invite new relationships, um, begin to advocate, begin to tell my story, begin to be, you know, comfortable being uncomfortable and humble and vulnerable with my truth um, in, in the hopes that I can shift things around me. And I think a lot of people are here right now. I mean, we, we've, we've, we've been in aware and we've learned and collected information, but we're sort of like, okay, now what do I do with that to shift the system around me? And in what way, like what's going to, what is my toolkit? And so active is I'm experimenting, I'm building a muscle, I'm practicing, I'm, fa I'm failing forward. This is a lot, a lot of growth mindset stuff. Like, you know, you got to be able to just be flex, right? Be learning agile, um, get that feedback that doesn't feel yeah. so good and say, you know what? Thank you. That's such a gift. Let me try it again. Um, so there's a lot of humility required here. And, um, and, and the perfectionism can really get in our way at this stage. And I, I wrestle with that myself, total type A perfectionist, you know, and I, that's a tough one when it comes to this competency, because we have to give ourselves space and have humility for ourselves and others, right. To learn together. We got to create that environment where we can do that and have it be somewhat safe so that we can stumble but not feel like in stumbling, we've kind of burned the whole thing down. And then uh, advocate is the fourth, which is the, the squeaky wheel, the loud noisemaker, the troublemaker, <laughs> the agitator, the challenger of the systems, you know, the person that, you know, like I think you and I have been having this conversation for so long. We know how to use our voice, when to use our voice. We are very aware of where we are in the system. We're, if we're an insider, we're using what we have to challenge as an insider, other insiders. And then if we're an outsider, we know how to agitate and bring that to all groups and be that advocate. And I think the risk in advocate is fatigue, I think, mm. and being the only and kind of carrying the water. And you and I know this, it's like, we've looked to D for DNI solutions and, and carrying that load. We've looked to people of the most marginalized identities and experiences. And 
that doesn't make any sense to me. So this book, I really hope this book might be the first one somebody ever reads on this topic. And they say, oh, I can do this. This doesn't make me feel like a bad person or like I have nothing to contribute, but this sort of lays out something that makes intuitive sense to me. And I, I understand what I need to do next. And I think if I could do that, that would be something I could be very proud of. I, I think you should be proud of yourself that <laughs> I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are, are doing that. I, I, I wanted to, to hone in a few things you said there, because I, I think you, you brought up some of the things we struggle with this world. You had said earlier in this interview that the, the world had an awakening during the mm. pandemic. One could argue that that awakening brought a sense of awareness that some might say has gone as regressed or progressed, depending mm. on who you're discussing. Right. So with the awareness, some people come into new knowledge. And for some of us, we view this new knowledge as disinformation. And for others, it's, oh, whoa, this is hidden information. Now, this concept of hidden information versus misinformation, I'm working, this is a new idea. I haven't workshop it. So yeah, yeah, your life. <laughs> yeah, this hidden information versus misinformation is causing this chasm where you, you, you have these two camps. Mm. who feel like you are stripping away their identity, taking away their freedoms. Mm. And they both define freedoms in different ways, yeah. right? So you, I'm just curious, what, what are your thoughts on this? Because mm. someone could use your continuum and say that for their <laughs> for their side of their argument and another side could use it for their side of the argument. So what would you say for that? Gosh, I never even thought, thanks for planting that image in my head. <laughs> No, but I say this because we're in the same field. I deal with this almost every day. What sure. I mean, like I'm traveling or I'm doing something. Someone would just, you know, it's a question in the audience. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah. It's, and I struggle with those audiences too, you know, and it's funny. I think we have to really get out of our bubble often as teachers yes. and, and wrestle with this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, yes, you're right that. Some folks are hunkering down, some are in protection mode, some are in defense mode of a way of life and identity, um, feeling threatened, feeling, um, you know, the awakening to this sort of, I guess, the injustices as perceived by someone who feels the world is changing around them and it, they're out of control, you know, and, and perhaps for the first time, um, not even having realized how much in control they really were and have been. So I find this is, you know, the classic, like people challenging me on the meritocracy argument and saying, well, you're telling us we need to shift, you know, the demographics of how we hire or, you know, but I, I feel like this is pref preferring or preferencing certain identities and like my criteria. And what about my, what about like the metrics and the measurements of, of excellence? And, you know, you get into, you go down the rabbit hole of, of trying to, I think, explain that the world has not been a meritocracy. And to use that standard now is certainly um, not in good faith, Yeah. but, but explaining to people like the water, that warm, comfortable water that you swim in, you know, has, is the very different definition of the, the privileges that those of us in the system who, who were, whose people built the system. Um, and that includes me and not me, right? Because I'm in ways outside of that and in ways I'm also an insider in it. And I think that's true for a lot of us, you know, whether you have male privilege and I don't, right. Or I have a certain skin color privilege, or, you know, we have gender identity privileges perhaps where, you know, we don't, we don't have to wrestle with that every single day and, and, and deal with very real like safety and, and issues and questions as we go through our lives. 
you know, I, I'm, I'm sort of acutely aware that I'm constantly trying to meet people where they're at and then give them some new ways and frameworks to think about it. But sometimes it, it's an argument around selfishness. Sometimes it's a, you know, there's a lot of techniques we use, right. To try to say to somebody, Hey, do you want to continue to be like an effective leader or, you know, a colleague, do you want to continue to thrive? Do you want an, you know, an organization to continue to be able to pivot and be relevant in a world that is, you know, majority non-white, for example, um, even if your leadership doesn't look like that world, you know, because the tops of organizations doesn't look like that world, but we know that that's the world. And yeah. we know that that will be an undeniable fact. So talk about facts, you know, <laughs> Diversity is a fact um, and diversity of all kinds, both visible and invisible. I mean, it's also really interesting that when I poll my audiences now, not only are we having the race and ethnicity conversation and the gender conversation, we're having the mental health crisis conversation. We're having the caregiving and chronic illness conversation and um, like neurodiversity, you know, which is like emerging and so, so important as a diversity dimension and yet like not named and understood and supported, I think, and destigmatized. So it's, um, this work is, is endlessly fascinating as we study humans. And I, I think if we could, you know, I want to bring as many people along as I can. Yeah. And if I'm, if I'm encountering folks who are asleep or don't care or don't understand I, I take it on myself to say, so where is the barrier to their buy-in or their understanding of how this might make them better? This might enable, you know, what's in it for me, this may, um, you know, provide a way to continue to be able to relate. Um, it's interesting though, you know, this, like people can hold certain values and certain religious beliefs, for example, but when it comes to leading, you can always also make the case that like you exist in a, in an organization that has certain values and certain priorities as well. So, you know, you can be, I don't know, it sounds kind of like I'm, I'm, I'm giving up the fight, but I'm not in terms of, you can believe what you want to believe, but when you're here and when you're in the business context, at least the world is changing. That's an undeniable fact. And you will be managing cross identity teams. You will be managing globally. You will need to establish trust across difference and get things done and do it innovatively. So how do you do that without valuing, like practicing the skill that I teach? Um, regardless of what you believe, you know, on your own time, I wonder if you can show up and, you know, and it's hard. I hate to even... I hate to even allow for that room, but I know that I have to because changing hearts and minds is a pursuit that will exhaust us. And, and yet we keep trying and yet we keep like beat. We're like the fly against the screen door. Like I worry about us and our sustainability as change agents. If we don't kind of parse this work and sort of go to where the energy is and find the working with people and not just spend all of our time in the, in the working against and trying to convince world, you know what I mean? So I don't know what you, like, what would you say? Because I think this, this comes down to our sustainability, I think as advocates and um, you know, we have to pick our battles. We have to choose the audience. We have to plug in our battery. And I personally love kind of working with in the conversation where there's a desire and an appetite to shift, even if it's scary, even if it's uncomfortable, I'll take it. 
I love that. But some other people love the fight, right? They just want to go into the 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 the, the deep end. <laughs> where, uh, where are you on the spectrum? I, I might be one of those people, but I also. <laughs> but the thing is, I I um I tell everyone, practitioner or not, you know, to have their own boundaries that exist for them. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to communicate what your boundaries are, right? You know, I, I will often say for me, my boundaries are Trump and Kanye West, right? So, oh in, goodness, those are in, good boundaries. Yeah. So in between that, I, I can usually play in the sand because at least I feel like I'm arguing in good faith. Sure. And I, you know, I have people in my life that, I'm, that might not agree with me along, you know, whether it's religious lines or any of these things. But if we can come to an understanding about what is important for belonging and what is important to be seen, heard and understood, mm. that, that to me is important. Right? If I can communicate with leaders that I know it has different values for me, but that but I can also help, uh, you know, educate that leader on what is also important for the rest of the team. And that person feels like at least they're going to try it. That to me is progress in, in that sense. I but agree. I hardly would engage in, in you know, in, in dialogue that I already know it's, you know, it's bad faith. You know, I, I'm, I'm on social mm-hmm. media. Someone's going to come and say something about Nigeria or something about, you know, my, my race. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, All right, well, you know, it looks like we're starting at a different place uh, in that sense. Yeah. 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 I think we have to be really like, choose your audience. And I I think we all have different gifts in this work too. Like you're not just a DEI advocate. I think some of us, I don't know. And I wrestle with this a lot. Like, who should I be speaking to? Who should I be making time to teach? And, and where can we go further faster? Like who are the people where that have the readiness and the willingness um, I love, you know, I call my podcast, the will to change and yeah, it's true. <laughs> you know, it really like the question of will, the question of why would someone want when something doesn't impact them directly, what would awaken compassion? What would awaken an awareness of, of, of not my experience, but many people's around me. And sometimes funny, like sometimes it's a, their child, you know, sometimes a parent has an aha moment, right? That kid comes out to them, right? Or says like, hey, I want to be called these pronouns. And all of a sudden someone is in the deep end of change and isn't prepared or is resistant, you know, is discovering their biases. So I look for those moments of inflection, right? Those sort of, it's the dark night of the soul or the hero's journey, right? It's the, it's the moment I think many of us, most of us go through maybe some many times in our life of feeling we don't understand anything anymore, right? That we've lost our bearings, that we've become unmoored and that the old, who, who we were doesn't work anymore. Yeah, I, I love those sorts of folks. Like I love like meeting people there and saying, now we've named, you know, I'm not making this up. This is happening. It's happening to me, but it's happening for me. Um, and I, if there's an openness to that, I feel that we can sort of wedge that door open a little, but the will, the will to change, like, it's not just a skill because inclusive leadership, you can learn it cognitively, intellectually, you can follow the talking points and meet your metrics even. Yes. But like, but that's like an intellectual exercise. How would we embody this? Like, how do I, I think that's, that's what kind of, I love because it's super complex and complicated and uh, everybody does it for different reasons. But I think our job is to figure out what is that key to unlock that. And I think, and then the resistor becomes the champion. I mean, that's the other thing that you can never really write someone off. Like there's so much potential and capacity that we have that we don't even know in ourselves and in others uh, until we begin. 
And um, that's just so profound to me too. So I, I'm kind of there for that. <laughs> that's no. what I look for. <laughs> well, I, I think the thing that you and I shares in this teachers is that we we teach in frameworks, right? Mm. I, I always say that. So I teach when you have a framework, someone can invite themselves into whatever yeah. you know you, you've you've presented based on research and your experience. But that doesn't mean that what comes out uh, at the end of that framework is going to mirror the other person, right? So they'll very true like then their biases different from yours or mine. And then it yeah, yeah, yeah. gives them an insight into their worldview, which then they can go into to reflect upon and impact uh, that environment. And so you know who this is kind of like, if I can say is like the yeah. log cabin Republicans. Like the, the LGBTQ the Republicans. So to your point, like, like, is it okay to kind of get it on some levels and then not on the, like, not on, the, I don't know. Like, I guess maybe we all went through this in our lives. Many of us anyway, didn't kind of, we weren't born knowing all the things, right. We have to be humble around like, well, where did I learn that? And what did I believe before? You know, be, I think we've all gone through this. So I try to remind myself that, you know, I am, I am a work in progress. Like there, there are biases I have yet to even discover that I have. And so going back in the framework, and holding myself myself accountable, being honest, sometimes can help audiences relate to me. Yes. Um, I think that's an important piece of teaching as well as to kind of show, I don't know what you think, but showing how our, you know, how what our progress has been, but also the the weaknesses, the the holes, the the misconceptions, the the hard truths, the aha moments, the you know, the, the, the regret, I, I feel regret a lot of the time around what did I not know? What did I not understand? What did I assume? What did I miss? Um, what could I have been doing more of what needed me that I wasn't ready to give? Yeah. Those are profound questions. I think transparency is incredibly important. Yeah. I, oh my gosh. And I think that's the, we don't have a culture of accountability. It's one of my biggest mm. peeves. I, I always preach it, but what I say it, I don't mean, I'm not even, calling it cancel culture, I'm talking about the people in our lives that we mm. sort of allow bad behavior to exist because that's who they are, right? The people that have family members that might mm. say homophobic things or mm. any of the ism things, but because it's just Uncle Roger or this is just <laughs> this person, he's fine, he's all this. And it's okay to be able to have the conversation and say, hey, can I talk to you about this? Mm. And even if you are part of the problem and you've seen and recognized the potential growth, that type of conversation where you then are saying, you know, I just have been doing a lot of reflecting. This is something that I, mm -hmm. I've come here. I, I want to share here and I want to create an open dialogue because when you model that level of accountability, you then make it okay for others to be able to do the same and, and to have a safe work. And for me, the work for me, whenever I get these opportunities, right, to consult and to, to speak, it's for me, I always tell them that I think the most important work is what you end up doing in your circle of influence, right? Yeah. So that that to me is what my hope is. That's where I always have a lot of my hope, even in the hopeless moments is yeah. there's a aha moment that you can go on to reflect on because they're going to hear it way better from you than they will from me. And that's, so that's, that's right. That's, that's where right. I find my hope. <laughs> yeah, I good. know we have to, we have to, we have to remind each other, right. About yeah. the source of hope because yeah. it's, it's hard work. Um, and, and it's like these little glimmers of potential that you kind of hang your hat on, right? And you yeah. plug your plug yourself into and or the or the person you know that has has gone for them has traveled a long way, right? I, I think it's also the starting point for someone. Um, 
And also too, like I have to really watch out, like in the LGBTQ community, there's always this, there's often has been historically this tension with folks with different religious beliefs, right? And the conversation can really, really hurt. I mean, imagine. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And feeling invalidated for who you are, Right. And, and, and holding the space in a conversation like that is really hard and how, I mean, I've been challenged, you know, in, in talks I've given in front of hundreds of people yeah. and somebody will ask a question, why this matters? You know, why do we have to share our pronouns? Why is it, isn't that private information or I don't agree with it? I'm sorry, or just whatever. And, and if that person is a leader, even harder, because what you're doing, then you, then you're contending with someone who is role modeling and setting a tone and a norm for uh, what what's what they're curious about, but slash what they're challenging, and what they're challenging is not a skill; it is literally who someone is, and that someone happens to be you as yeah. the teacher, right? And I mean, it is so hard. You know, I'm sure you've a million no, times I, you've been in that, and you're like, breathe. <laughs> you yeah, you, that's the thing. You have to take yourself out of that, and I know. So you you uh, you, you as a member of the LGBTQIA plus family. I I always I, I think about remarks like what just came out recently. So I don't know if you follow Candace Cameron Burr's oh, yeah, recently. a little bit. Mm-hmm. Okay, so she, boundaries. <laughs> yes, need about. Oh, there you go. So for for, for context of the audience, Candace Cameron Burr, she was uh, you know the, the, I guess she is still an actress, but she was a bigger name uh, in, in in the past. Uh, Fuller House, Full House, I think Full House. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And, and then over the years, her she's you know she's very Christian, very religious, and she has been dogmatic about that. But she recently joined a rival network to Hallmark, I think, where she's going to have a chief creative role. And she talked about how she's going to focus on traditional marriage in one of the films, I believe, or maybe just the, the entire slate. And that caused this opera because then this concept of traditional marriage goes against what people think. <laughs> should be marriage right and so i always wonder when you're in the work and someone is attacking your identity like that mm. how do you feel when you know the people in the audience who agree with candace mm. and don't feel like you are part of a traditional marriage and you are breaking the traditional family dynamic based on their religious beliefs yeah yeah well i remind myself that no community like as we label communities is really a monolith. Mm. So she's one person, right? And she professes to speak for this viewpoint, but 
I don't know. I, I think there's a lot of diversity within the diversity dimension, right? So if we, if we Absolutely. say this is right, Absolutely. if we say, you know, a political party, there's a ton of variation within us, each of each side, right? So, so remember, and you know, we've all watched the social network and all these other, you know, movies <laughs> that have to told us what's going on with social media. It's told us that we are, we are being manipulated to take our corners against each other. We are yeah. manipulated to think that there are these these groups. And I'm, I'm, I have, um, for example, I have a lot of Christian folks in my family, but the work has been the way they love me, the way they support me. Right. And that's, that's my work to recognize and remember that. Right. And so I have definitely grown in terms of checking myself or when I face a room full of white, seemingly white, seemingly male, seemingly cisgender and straight. And I say seemingly because there's so much we don't see about people. Right. I check myself and my work is really to remember because I've taught so much. I know there is always so much going on for people. Like you just never, you never really see and you can't see what's yeah. going on for people. And, and it's just been shared with me so many times, often confidentially, um, that somebody does know something about exclusion. Somebody is struggling, right? And 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 the mental health stuff and the things we talked about before where the dimensions are expanding, the way that we talk about this is also being more expansive, yeah. I think is going to bring in people to say, oh, that's my story. You know, oh, she's talking about that. Wait, she's talking true. about that plus these other things that I thought I was against, but now I maybe I have to rethink it because now I'm feeling like this may be, this may be really speaking to me and yeah. my lived experience. So I, I, I don't know. I'm such a glass half full kind of person. And I know that it sounds Same. a little ridiculous, but no, I hear you. <laughs> I hear you. You have to be. You do. You do. I mean, to do this work, you, you have to be, I, 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 I to even go back to your book, that how to be an inclusive leader. The second edition, which you were talking about, you've touched yeah. on, you've highlighted this mental health a few times, but yeah. you, you continue to address the other challenges, right? So mental health, one, yep. disability, remote work, yep. all these things. All these why, did you th- why do you think it was important to include that? Because I feel like everything we just discussed can become even more complex <laughs> when you add the layers of mental health. It does, it does. Yeah. Yeah. I know, I kind of feel bad. I, you know, as a teacher, you're sort of like, okay, so that's 101, then there's 201, then there's 301. <laughs> like, I mean, it's, it's, I love it, right? I, I love um, the new challenges, right? The things I still have yet to learn, let alone, you know, move into active or advocate for, right? right. So my own learning challenges for me is to, begin to bring those into the conversation, right? Um, and, and know enough about identities I don't hold that I, I know enough to be dangerous, like in a good way, right? If I'm the only one in the room and that's not being discussed or represented or that there are bias, you know, I can speak. So, you know, that's my work, but you're right. The list of identities that I think that, that are impact, especially over the pandemic, impacting us, and derailing our belonging. If we can agree that belonging is important, like you said earlier, right? If we can we can find where do we overlap in terms of what we agree on. And then let's build from there and see um, how this, this whole issue of belonging or not in a system or not is impacting you. I, it doesn't become so cut and dry for people. I think if we can introduce that ambiguity and say, you too, like this work sees you, this work sees you in your struggle. 
It could be single parenting. It could be I'm sober and in recovery. And I can never, ever talk about that. It could be I'm I'm caregiving. So it doesn't, when people are like, well, Jennifer, what about the politics? And I'm like, but there's so much more going on that I think is more important in a way because it deals with the human experience and the ways that systems are inequitable and sort of we're outsiders in so many different ways. And I, I think it's a bigger, more universal conversation. It's more inclusive. And um, and I, maybe we can establish common ground around that feeling of outsider status. And yeah. maybe we can establish that, wow, you were more, we're more, we're more alike on this, on this aspect. And yet these, all these other noise is telling us that we're not alike, that we don't have a shared interest. And um, so anyway, I think a broader slate of, of definitions is more inclusive and is going to kind of sweep more folks on the outer ring of this, perhaps sweep into a bigger discussion that, that they could care about and uh, that they might feel is not calling them a bad person. I think there's a lot of this, like I'm a bad person stuff going on. Yes. And I, I don't know, I, I regret that. Um, and it's, look, it's our field. It's my field that we've been in it for a long time. And I think we've been focusing on the voiceless and certain communities that are marginalized and feeling so much like we just have to be heard. If we could just be heard, we can fix things. But if we're, if we're heard, 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 and we're carrying all the water and we're fatigued and we're, you know, burned out and we're like frustrated and, and it's bad for our health. And I don't know if we're winning in the end, you know? And mm. so I think to myself, how have we not meant to exclude, but we just haven't quite cracked the code about how to speak about this truth. I think you and I agree that there's this beautiful truth in what we're talking about. And why are people not hearing that? And, um, and what can I sort of rack my brain and my heart to think about how might I present this in such a way that, that encourages someone for the first time to look at it differently? I think we should wake up asking ourselves that because if we don't figure that out, then we're going to continue to go our separate way. Our paths are going to diverge more and more because more that's being more. assisted by all the agendas that are around us, right? All the money that's being made on pitting us against each other. But that's not actually what we want. We want humanity. We want community. We want belonging. So, you know, and, and uh, yes, I, and you know what, back to your question of like separate, separate networks, right? Um, you know, it's interesting. I mean, there's faith networks in a lot of companies I work with, right? There's affinity groups that are focused yeah, on different right, faiths. True. It's, it's, a, it's, it could be a sticky wicket, but it's actually could be also really compelling. It, it depends, you know, um, some companies have, um, a, a multi-faith, some companies have, um, Christian groups and Jewish groups and Muslim networks, right? So it's, there is this, there is this middle ground that is full of potential for understanding, for building understanding and, and for acknowledging identity. And it doesn't need to be my identity. And, but I also need to be careful not to, not to stereotype each group and leave room for the diversity within the diversity, right? Which is such a powerful, I, I don't know if we want to look at that and admit it, but that's the truth. To. That's no, true. we have to. The, 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 the point of diversity within diversity is so important because even if we want to go back to voiceless, there are many silent voices who might be in one identity but don't say something because they know that 
the majority of people are going to swat them down. But that doesn't mean that they don't believe the larger picture. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. how they will feel. I mean, I like I always get those confidential emails as well. Like, I agree with you, but I just didn't want to say it out publicly because I know exactly. how that look. Exactly. Right? So, I love those emails. You know, I'm a, I'm big in like the men and masculinity conversation. Yes. And it reminds me of this because the man box is no joke, right? The man box, even in a community, you could, I could be standing there feeling like, oh, poor me. I'm the only, right. I'm triggered. I don't feel psychological safety. Like I, you know, and that still happens to me. I mean, I'm still in rooms where I, I have that old feeling, right. That old sort of, I'm not safe. Right. And then I'm like, but hold on. Everything I've learned is that these folks are like, there's this extremely narrow expectation that of behavior that's allowed there is, and it is so harmful for the diversity within the diversity. There's so, there's so many voiceless, um, aspects of, of showing emotions and, you know, having a conversation that goes beyond like the jokes and the sports and the the misogyny and the homophobia and the, but the, but the fear, the very real danger for people of moving outside of a group that that's all they know. You know, that is a huge act of courage. And I think back to our question of, so what constitutes growth for somebody? Like, you know, it looks very different for you and me than it might look for somebody who's grown up in a certain way, right? Who's been socialized in a certain way Um, and celebrating that step, that one step outside the group that by the way, is probably incredibly toxic for that person, but they just, but they've never <laughs> yes. seen it that way. They've never like even looked around at the water you're swimming in and saying, Whoa, this water has poison in it. Like I need, I need a different way. So that's why I love that work too, because watching men wake up to their own, all that's been internalized and socialized mm. in them and, and how it's never, ever made them feel a sense of belonging. And in fact, has exacted such a toll on them and being there to support that is, is so well as a cisgender female, that is really like awe inspiring moments. I mean, for me to be a part of that is like healing myself because that's, that's a sort of fundamentally, I think for me has been kind of a toxic, toxic relationship, right? You know, we've got a lot of, I can imagine. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm in, to me, I'm very, this is a big part of what I wouldn't, I, I love doing the masculinity aspect and you, you mm. it, it, as a, you know, as a teacher in this field, you have to be able to simultaneously hold conversations about what fears some men have about feminism or yeah. what fears some people have about, you know, being cisgendered or being trans, you know, homophobia. There's all these internalized things that people have that feel like it's counteractive to someone's version of masculinity. And if we do this black and white thing, this just just binary type of thinking, it is going to be so hard to have any of these conversations. And so then it becomes important to simultaneously be able to set a boundary so that you feel safe enough in the conversation, but also allow for nuance for someone to unpack an idea. And and that takes a lot of time, which is why your your, your mental health conversation (laughs) is so important. You're so important. It is. And um, if, yeah, I know it's so, I don't even know what the word is. Like you have to have this deep, like the, the groundedness that you have to hold um, to not get swept away with ego and hurt and triggers of, you know, your own history and to be the teacher and yet be the human at the same time in a moment like that. Right. Um, I struggle with that because the human in me 
feels all the things I can't, you cut me and I'm going to bleed. Right. Um, and I want to name that, Yeah. but with grace and love and kindness, even when perhaps you feel like what is going on is not kind and what is going on is not. And yet it's coming from a place of a lack of awareness and, and not from a place that's, you know, perhaps, I don't know, it depends on the situation. So, but untangling all that, I think is, I think, look, I say, people in DEI work, like you have to do it for quite a while to, to even be able to have the skill and the, and the, the patience, the love, you know, the, the agility to hold yourself whole in that while you are teaching and enabling someone to move along their path from wherever they're starting and where they're starting from and what they're saying, like you just said, like it's, it's, um, in many, in sort of an objective definition, you're in a very hostile situation and you can feel the hostility, right? We get that body. Do you get like a whole kind of rush? Like what's your, what's your stress response in, in, in those really tough moments? (laughs) No, you have to do a lot. You just have to really know yourself as well, but you also have to then understand the bigger picture in the moment, because sometimes you have people that are trying to trigger you on purpose true particular point and so intent matters yes and sometimes you just it's just not they didn't it was just this is them unpacking their things but i'm confused i thought this this is how i learned what are you trying to tell me and so you have to be able to do all those things as 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 well and and, and maintain composure while understanding you still have maybe six other things to go through in the presentation so that's true also right what if somebody like knocks you off and you have to deal with it and um you know that that requires a hallway conversation, right? That's a, that's a, Hey, let's put a pin in that. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Well, I, I'll be here. La, da, da, yeah. Yeah. Da, yeah. Da. Let's discuss, <laughs> but funny enough, like those are some of the moments we remember, right? Like yeah. to, as a teacher, the ability to hold a group and deal with that. Right. And somehow like, I don't know about you, but the, the diversity of learners that I'm faced with is, is so wide sometimes. And yeah. I think like, how can I, how can I reach each person with something that's useful? And by how, by the way, how can we do that virtually, right? Or, or, or but in person too, I mean, there are different challenges, but they're equally challenging. Um, and then, but I, I do remember, I remember the challenges. I don't remember the easy stuff, right? I remember the times when somebody, I felt embarrassed or shamed or put on the spot by someone um, in front of a group. And I think those are the moments you're really, t- it's a 3.0, right? You're tested. And the question in those moments is sort of like, how do I manage this and not lose the momentum, the other people in the room? How do I make sure that person feels heard? How do I maybe take this and turn it into a teachable moment without shaming anyone? Um, How do I name something that's in the room and like um, give it voice? I, I find I, you know, I, I have so much privilege, for example. Um, so sometimes I'll go on stage and people look at me versus they, how they might look at you and say, who is this person? And what does she know? What does she know about this? And, you know, I, I come out and I, I talk about some of the things, but I also immediately and very quickly talk about what I was, the kind of situation I was born into, you know, and what, what it's enabled for me in my life and how I'm endeavoring every day to, to be, a, you know, deemed an ally and an accomplice and how I'm kind of putting it back into play. Um, and I, I find that that neutralizes those folks that are either like trying to judge me yeah. or, or get me on their side, <laughs> say, right. I mean, you feel like the group is sort of trying to, you know, find itself. 
and you are the representative of a lot of things for a lot of people. And um, so it's really fascinating to kind of figure out how do I talk about all of my identities, both visible and invisible, as a way to kind of lower the temperature in a room and to enable every identity to feel seen on some level? That's right. Um, and how do I do that quickly and and um, authentically? Like that, to me, that's sort of the biggest call to action every time I'm in front of a group of people. Um, and so I'm still experimenting with that. You know, I don't know if you have some tricks that have worked for you. No, I, like you, I'm, I'm always experimenting. But the, the thing you said, establishing credibility early on is, is always important. Oh, so, yeah. Um, a lot of, yeah. And that is done with story. So a lot of uh, my speeches would start with a version of my story as to how, I, you know, how and why, you know, uh, I'm why. in a field of work. And, you know, you, you get the nods or you get, uh, I don't know. <laughs> and <laughs> right. Either I'm way. Skeptical. <laughs> yeah. Either way, you still have established that. But then once you've introduced yourself into that, then, you you know, it's usually going into how you came about the information and then um, what your hope is yes. to solve a problem. Right. I, I always yeah. tell speakers when I'm teaching my students, this is don't forget the problem you're trying to solve. And it, it, it's OK if the audience doesn't agree with you, but they at least have to understand your take on the problem and what you're trying to solve. And so that mm. that's what I always, um, you know, would focus on. I, I yeah. think people respect enthusiasm and commitment. Yeah. And sometimes I find myself with a, with a difficult audience saying, you know, I want a better experience than what I had. And literally just like, like putting that right there, like, here's how I felt like, here's what it was like to be me. And wondering about my value, um, doubting if I would ever, you know, fit and be able to be what I had the potential to be. Um, speaking just really from the heart about the, yeah. the the sense of the difference, right? Differences that make a difference for us. Um, but I know that that's it's a fine line, and you know you have to do that strategically, share strategically, right? Because you're we always have a goal as a teacher, right? There's there's it's not just sort of I'm sharing to share, but it's to, you know, I guess it's to create sort of a, maybe a cognitive dissonance in someone. Yeah. Um, and I know a very powerful thing for me is I can be um, straight passing, for example. Um, so I can stand up and say, wow, you know, did it ever cross your mind who I'm, how I might identify? And right. right. And I love that moment. That moment helps open that at the beginning, open the, the, the heart, right. Just at the very least say, Whoa, I didn't think that yes. I didn't expect that. And I think we can all use those sorts of, of dissonances in us. The ones that are especially not obvious, um, that, that paint this complex picture of a human standing in front of you. And then I think that, sh that makes room for the complexity in the people, for the people in the audience. And then what I ask is actually them to, I give them a framework of the iceberg usually. And I ask people to turn to the person next to them. And invariably the mental health stuff will come up. The addiction struggles will come yeah. up. The, you know, they will find something in this big sort of um, list of identities, like something that really resonates with them. And they're practicing, they're beginning to warm their engine up around disclosure and vulnerability, which I love because those that's part of the skill set um, and feeling what that feels like. And then, and then asking for some of those to be surfaced in the room. And then you can build from there, a build a way in, even with resist resistant audiences, there's usually something that somebody will be willing to, to throw out. And then you can begin to like, 
use that to pry in, you know, but, um, I remember my group dynamics class in school and, and it just, just like studying group, like how, like where the center of gravity is and who has the power and understanding, like, so how to, you know, what is this group coming in with? Like what has happened here before it's sort of entering the subway car, you know, that you're like, Whoa, something just happened. And like, what just something like, there's no one in here. And there's like the smell in the air and there's, there's personal items scattered. <clears throat> I remember one time I walked into the, into a subway car and there was, there were papers everywhere and no one was around. And I thought to myself, something violent just happened here. Yeah. I, right. So, so realizing doing your homework also so that you can kind of make sure you're, you're as a teacher, you're ready to address and that you can, you're literally speaking to the resistance, the pat, the past, the beliefs, the, um, failed attempts, the frustrations, right. The, the divisions. And I think the more we name it and make a safe space to at the very least, like sort of say, okay, this has happened. This is true. This might be going on for you. You might be thinking this, um, I love beating people to that because that's part of credibility building is literally saying, Hey, I've been here hundreds of times. There is like literally nothing you can say <laughs> or think that I don't know that you're thinking. <laughs> and that's as a bad. teacher, that's really cool because then you can be like, okay, so then, you know, knowing that, um, you feel a little bit more in control anyway. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. That's a, that's a beautiful way to put a pin in it. Where can people <laughs> find your book? Because if it's ideas like that, oh, I got to get more. Oh, thank you so much. I need to write a book about the, the teaching process. Yes. So, so fun too. Um, yes. But anyway, yes, please. Thank you. So it's um, how to be an inclusive leader and which is the second edition. So you can't even get the first edition anymore, really. So it is um, it's the one that you'll see. And um, podcast is the will to change um, Twitter so far. And I don't know. I'm very curious about <laughs> what is your plan, but it's, <laughs> I haven't decided yet. I, was just having I haven't either. <laughs> <laughs> well, for now it's at Jennifer Brown, um, at Jennifer Brown speaks on Instagram and everybody just check us out. Um, Jennifer Brown consulting is where my amazing, amazing team lives and they are incredible humans. And we try to just help organizations do this work and do it in a sustainable deep tissue sort of way. And, you know, I, I just couldn't be prouder and happier to kind of have survived <laughs> this 20 years and, and being able to say, Hey, we're, we're still doing this work and um, more and more people want it, which is what I think you opened with, which is really, that's heartening. And I, I, I hang my hat on it. <laughs> yeah, we have, we'll make sure we put that in the show notes. My final question is my mission statement reframed as a question. So my mission statement, uh, as you know, is use your difference to make a difference. So mm. how do you use oh, your difference to make a difference? Oh. Well, I think I've talked about it today. Just yes, all you have. My, <laughs> it's all, it's <laughs> all the, all the ingredients that challenges, um, with our identity, with our upbringing, with, um, the, the benefits we've enjoyed, all of those things are the ingredients for change. And each of us has so many choices to use things that we already possess. So, you know, let's jump in and use those, whether that's to normalize a conversation about whiteness and privilege, whether it is to bring, you know, shine the light on LGBTQ plus identities, whatever it is, like there's so much we could each be doing. And I just believe that we are underutilizing what we've been given. So I love that as a call to action. There you go. Jennifer Brown. 
continuing to encourage others to make the world a better place. Yay. <laughs> Thank you so much. This has been a real pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks. Pleasure. Oh, no, anytime. Pleasure <laughs> my Kings, Queens of Royalty. Until next time. Use it. That was so good. Later. Thank you for having me. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 